The Truth News Network. Lies, fake news, and spin. The Deception Dance. You need a fresh vaccine of the truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. And the doctor is in. Here's Dan Newman. Well, the doctor, maybe maybe we need an injection or two. Maybe we ought to do that at the White House press briefing every day. Give them something, maybe a truth serum, so that all we get are facts coming from that podium in the White House briefing room. <laughs> what a great idea, huh? Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to TNN Live, Truth News Network production. And if you don't find us online, if you don't look, if you want to get some refreshing news, some truthful news every day, every morning, try this, truthnewsnet.org. And every day, pretty much six days a week, you'll see a brand new story at the top of the front page, and it'll have some very factually researched information in there. A lot of that you're not getting anywhere else. And that's what we're all about here. For those of you new, thank you for being here, coming by and checking us out. For those of you here pretty much every day or you're here often as you can, thank you for being that loyal person. And tell somebody about the site. Give them this information. You can get it two different ways. You can get it live here every Monday through Friday morning, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. And then you can grab it from wherever you get your podcast from, whatever your favorite source is, like Apple or Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google, Stitcher, and even Facebook. What do we do here? What are we all about? We're about getting together and sharing news, getting ideas, good ideas, truthful ideas, with which we can make some good determination about what's going on in our lives today and what we need to do to prepare for our lives Tomorrow, at least the part of it we can do today. Well, we're headed into the Easter weekend, which marks a lot of good things throughout history. And of course, for us, it's kind of a spot in the early spring where we all take a collective breath and just maybe hold a sigh. And we look ahead at the summertime. We start really diligently planning our summertime. This last summer, probably... First in a long time, we haven't looked at the beach. And it's not been fun not being able to have that beach, walking down the beach, barefooted, sand, great waves, good food. I love that. Wherever you are planning to go, just plan on just doing whatever it is you want to do. Get it out of your system. Let your hair blow in the car. If you're flying somewhere, think about, if it's a warm climate, think about getting your car, your rental car, a convertible and taking advantage of those things. You know, I'm not a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants person, but I'm definitely somebody who believes that we should, and it's okay. In fact, we should do the things that make us feel happy, contented. And for me, thinking about going to the beach with our six grandkids, our children, their spouses. That's a great feeling. It really is. You can sit there and just look at three generations, at least we can, of Americans that we are deeply involved with on a day-to-day basis. And we're blessed in that. Look at your families. 
when you're when you're tempted to just get down on everything. And there are a lot of things that come our way that could get us down if we just concentrate on that side of the thoughts of all these things. But if you'll back away for a few minutes, every once in a while, when it looks like you're going to be overcome, just back away and look at it. And just look away from it for a few minutes and think about all of the blessings that you have in other places. Life is full of bad things. And unfortunately for us all, they all show up in our lives, or at least some of them do, pretty regularly, every once in a while. And of course today, there's a big pile of stuff. (laughs) I mean a huge pile of stuff. And we're going to weigh in and get uh, some good information to you. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about, to be honest with you, is good. We like that. Everything can't be good, but everything's never going to be bad. Let's start overseas. Let's just do a quick wrap-up of the latest coming out of Ukraine. There's been some massive damage to Russia's Black Sea Fleet flagship. And we're told this morning, we're told by Russia, by the way, this could change how the rest of the Russian Navy operates in the war. The Moskva, M-O-S-K-V-A, it was seriously damaged after its ammunition blew up. While Ukrainian authorities said it was hit by Ukraine's Neptune anti-ship missiles. If I have to choose between the two versions, I'm going to take the Ukraine version. (laughs) Russia said Ukrainian forces fired on a border checkpoint in Russian territory. Moscow has said it would strike Ukraine control centers, including in Kiev, if Ukraine continued to strike inside Russia. And of course, Ukraine has denied carrying out attacks over in Russian territory. Meanwhile, back home, On our side of the pond, the Biden administration is moving, we're told, to significantly expand the intelligence it is providing Ukraine's forces. As the U.S. delivers, and we're told this, an additional $800 million in weapons, ammunition, and security assistance. I'll come back to that in a minute. But let's just wrap this up. What's going on on the Russian side? Former Russian President Dmitry Medvedev warned the country would reinforce its ground, naval, and air defenses in the Baltics if Sweden and Finland choose to join NATO. And he suggested their membership would lead to a nuclear expansion in the Baltics. Sounds a bit like a threat to me. What about you? Those are two really good countries full of really good people, Sweden and Finland. They bring a lot to the table for any organization. They'd be good partners in NATO. Now let's go back to the U.S. What are we doing? What is the United States doing right now in the Ukraine, Russia, the Russia invasion of Ukraine? Oh, almost every day we hear from Jen Psaki from the White House press room podium talking about all this money, all these weapons. Oh, we're doing this. We're giving them these missiles. We're giving them tanks. Well, we didn't let him. We weren't going to give them to him in the first place, but we didn't let our NATO partner, Poland, give Ukraine MiGs that they so desperately needed they could protect their airspace. Poland was going to give them those jets. And there was one caveat. 
Poland was not going to give them directly to Ukraine because they're neighbors, they share a border, and Poland was concerned that Russia would look at that as them joining the war, and they don't want that to be the case. But they did say, hey, we'll give them to you, United States. We'll take them down to your air base in southern Europe, in Germany. And those Ukrainian pilots can go there and y'all train them, and then they'll take them back. Why, oh, why did our government say no to that? Just makes you wonder. Just makes you wonder. So let me tell you what else I'm wondering about. We're not hearing our government, our Pentagon, giving us any information at all about exactly what we have sent and are sending. And if it's getting there, And if it's in the hands of the people in Ukraine that need to have it to fight against Russia, we've not heard one story of it. And we've not heard one story about that coming out of Ukraine either. Now, what does that in particular say to you? Let me tell you what it says to me. It says to me that there's a whole lot of commitment being made politically And it's probably not, and I use probably with accent on purpose, it's probably not the inference that we have been given that like we're flying stuff over there and giving it immediately to the Ukraine, Ukrainian army, the military, and to President Zelensky for them to use, including the money. I guarantee you there are some real good news people in the, in the nation that have direct contact with the White House every day. You see many of them in those White House briefings. I guarantee you that question has been asked over and over and over again. And I guarantee you this, at this point, I promise you they're not giving any answers to those questions, good answers, believable answers coming out of the Pentagon. And that, of course, would be at the behest of the White House. Slow play of commitments is actually worse than not making the commitment in the first place. Because in this situation, we're talking about life and death for millions of Ukrainian people. Life and death. So why would we mess around? If we are, and I'm not sure we are, it's just beginning to smell that way to me. Why would we mess around and not follow through on our commitment when it comes to money that they can use to run their government, what what is able to be run now, to take care of some of their other stuff, at the same time implementing the military weaponry that we're sending over there or that we've been told we're sending over there? I haven't seen a single picture of a tank in Ukraine with the American flag on the side of it. Have you? Don't you think that would be something that the Ukrainian government would want to accent to show that we were involved with them in that way? We're told we've sent armored vehicles and tanks over there to help the Ukrainian people. I've just learned to be skeptical, especially about political commitments. Anything that I hear that sounds good or sounds bad, it makes no difference. I want to go trust and verify. You know what I mean? you got to remember who we're talking about here. We're not talking about Vladimir Putin. We're not talking about Volodymyr Zelensky. We're talking about our guy, 
our president, Joe Biden, the one that left $82 billion worth of military equipment, everything from explosives to fighter jets to fighter helicopters. He left $82 million, walked away from it in Afghanistan. We gave you the rundown of all that was in that stockpile at Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan when we pulled out. Stupidest military decision, I think, in world history. Walk away from $82 billion worth of equipment that you know is going directly, immediately, into the hands of the Taliban, which is a terrorist organization. What the heck would we expect a terrorist organization to do with $82 billion worth of military equipment? You know what they're doing with it. They're not waiting to do it. They're doing it now very surreptitiously around the world. They're creating terror. Terrorists make terror. And that's not the only thing this president left in Afghanistan. We now know he left about 700 American citizens in Afghanistan. Many of those people are still trying to get out. They're running just to keep out of the sight of the Taliban. Remember, the Taliban are a terrorist organization. There was no way we could uh, we could get into diplomatic relations with them and negotiate anything with terrorists. Do you think they're going to honor their word in the first place? No, they never do. Why would we trust them? Joe Biden did. They did. Donald Trump didn't, if you remember. You remember when this pullout, of Afghanistan was ramping up and all the news was out there talking about, oh, we're going to leave, what, what what's going to happen? How are we going to do this? Who's going to be involved in this? And of course, the Biden administration, every time anything bad goes wrong, they look over their shoulder and say, well, Trump did this or Trump didn't do that. Look at this horrible situation that we inherited. The Biden administration, even the Pentagon said, we did not have a deal with Afghanistan, with the Taliban about pulling out. We didn't have a deal. There was nothing in writing. It was a lie. There was. We actually published it on our website. It had been in place, negotiated by Mike Pompeo and Donald Trump personally. It was in writing, and it was very specific about the Taliban was supposed to do and what they were not supposed to do. And Donald Trump even told them, if you don't comply with this, we will kill you. Those were his words. And they believed him, folks. And so they were on track to do what the agreement said. The plan for that $82 billion worth of military hardware, the Trump plan, was to either get it all out before it was time to withdraw our military totally, get it all out and what we couldn't get out, destroy it. That's what the military planning is in any scenario like that. Don't let your enemies get your stuff. So I, I illustrated this to go back to Ukraine and say, we're not hearing anything coming out of Ukraine about, look what the U.S. gave us. We were able to do this, this, and that. And we've got all these billions of dollars in cash 
and we're able to do this, this, and that. Vladimir Zelensky, he's on radio and television every day around the world. Numerous, numerous outlets. I've never heard him say, and there's never been a report from him, to my knowledge, that says, we are so blessed and thankful because we were able to do all of this with the military hardware and the financial backing that came from the United States. Not a word. That tells me we're not doing what we're saying we're doing, at least not in the way that we are saying we're doing it. So what's in the Biden package? Well, let me give you a list. Here's from the White House what they say we've already sent. $800 million in military aid to help Kiev fend off Moscow's unprovoked invasion. The newly announced assistant includes a wide range of weapon systems for the Ukrainian military designed to help them fight off the heavy forces that Russia is putting in the field. The transfer includes howitzer artillery, armed personnel carriers, and M-17 helicopters, a dozen advanced radar systems, multiple tank filling systems, including 500 Javelin missiles, 300 switchblade drones, and thousands of other anti-armor weapons. This inventory of weapons and equipment was made after several conversations between the two nations regarding what was needed on the battlefield. Now, this is coming from our administration, folks, not Ukraine. That list, which includes more than a dozen different items, represents an escalation of our role in the Ukrainian war. For instance, we are told the U.S. will provide 18 155-millimeter howitzer cannons and 40,000 rounds for the first time. American soldiers will also directly train the Ukrainian forces on how to use some of the higher-end equipment, like the ANTPQ-36 counter-artillery radars and ANMPQ-64 Sentinel air surveillance radars. That sounds like a lot. It is a lot if it's utilized, if it can be utilized, if it's there to be utilized. But until we get confirmation, until I can find confirmation of this being used in battle against Russia in Ukraine, based on the history of this president, I'm going to say it's not done yet. Promised, and maybe even I'll give him this benefit of the doubt, maybe even some of it is. But they don't need this stuff next week or next month. They needed it six weeks ago. And they were asking our president for it six weeks ago and five weeks ago and four weeks ago and three weeks, two weeks, one week. Yesterday, President Zelensky begged the United States, give us weapons. Now, why would he be begging every day the same thing? Give us weapons. In fact, at the very beginning, he said, I don't need a way out when the United States offered to get him and his family out of Ukraine to go somewhere else during the war. He said, I don't need a way out. Send me ammunition. Got a lot of respect for the man. 
a whole lot of respect. Well, I know you have, um, you've kind of followed that subway shooting incident that happened in Brooklyn. It's pretty horrible. And they couldn't find the guy that did it. They had video. They had a credit card. They had the van that he rented from U-Haul, but they couldn't find him. But they did. Frank James, he's now in custody. He's set to be arraigned before a federal judge today. Have you seen his pictures? 62-year-old guy. He is He's a big guy. He's overweight, very stocky. But when you look in his face, you see evil. And he has a rap sheet that is just unbelievable. And, of course, all the politicians have weighed in. Mayor Eric Adams, New York. My fellow New Yorkers, we got him. <laughs> Police Commissioner Kichant Sewell praised the work of the NYPD and their federal partners as she explained that moments ago, James was stopped and arrested after the department received a Crime Stoppers tip that placed him inside a McDonald's in Manhattan's East Village. And if you see the picture of him, you'll see he likes McDonald's. And it's very apparent. He won't be going to McDonald's for the foreseeable future. I promise you. He's now facing federal charges for his actions. A terrorist attack is what they're calling it on mass transit. That means his time behind bars just got doubled. U.S. Attorney Breon Peace of the Eastern District of New York and Brooklyn said James is being charged with one count of committing a terrorist or other violent attack against a mass transportation system. He'll be arraigned. That's in federal court in Brooklyn. And if he's convicted when all this comes out, which will be years from now, I'm sure, he'll face a sentence of up to life. He's accused of injuring 29 people in that subway station. 29. Thankfully, nobody got killed, which that blows my mind. But 29 were injured. He had it very well planned. He almost got away. In fact, if he had been smart, he would have found a way to get out of the United States into Canada. But he hung around. That always makes me think when a criminal does that, they stay in the area or they, they, they don't just find a way to fade away into the sunset. It just makes me think they, they really want to get caught. I'm not a shrink so I can't weigh in on that other than to say that just sounds funky to me and uh, you probably don't realize what funky means unless you were around back in the 90s. I guess maybe even the bigger news is about what's happening with Twitter. I am loving the heck out of this, folks. I got to tell you, I despise Twitter. I try hard not to get involved in anything Twitter related. But you know, if you're doing what we're doing here, you got to be able to use it. Even if you're just going to get quotes and uh, get audio sound bites to present here on the show. I think Elon Musk feels a little bit like me, but he's got, uh, he's got a whole lot more of commas in his bank balance than I do in mine. Do you realize what's going on? Elon Musk, he'd already bought a chunk of Twitter, and he's now made a public offer. He wants to buy the whole company. When I say whole company, 100% of Twitter, 100%. That means 
no partners. He wants to take it private. Now, don't you know there are a bunch of stockholders out there that are just dying about this? Well, they're going to get a good good number for their stock if it sells. So why don't they just say, I'm not going to sell? Well, when you buy stock in a public corporation, um, you don't have that option. You can't stop a sell unless you can get a bunch of people together and make up a majority and go and stop it from being sold. But this one's a little different, folks. When Elon Musk says he wants to buy the whole company, he wants to buy the whole company. And he's ready to write a check to buy Twitter, the whole company, leaving you and me out if you're a stockholder of Twitter. Now, you may think this. Where's a guy like Elon Musk? Yeah, he's got a great company, Tesla. It's doing really well. It's growing and growing, and it's, it's, it's expanding, and its revenue's going up. Its profits are going up. He's doing a great job. But even with that, who's going to lend him $43 billion to buy Tesla? All he has to do is go to the ATM. <laughs> the $43 billion is in his account. He can write a check. He's the wealthiest man on earth. And what I love about Elon Musk, besides the fact he's an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur. And like I said, I don't have the commas in my bank balance that he does. So he's been a whole lot more effective as an op- uh, entrepreneur than I have. But what I like about it is why he's doing this. He knows he's going to make money with it. But he is sick of the way that Twitter has treated America. He's sick of the big tech control of all things in our government. When you have a social platform like Twitter, and they have the kahunas to ban the president of the United States from using that social media platform, to express himself. You know that free speech thing, First Amendment? And the left are going absolutely crazy about this because they see this as an attack on who they are and what they do. And guess what, folks? It is an attack in the name of the First Amendment, free speech. This is going to impact not only Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram and every other social media platform that's out there. This is a war against the attacks on free speech. And it's not our government that's attacking these attacks on free speech, which they should be because they are the protectors of the entire Constitution and everything that's in it. But specifically, those Ten Amendments, our Bill of Rights as Americans, our government is supposed to protect everything that we are supposed to have, rights, and all of that rolled in. They should be fighting the battle against Twitter and Facebook and Google and Instagram and WhatsApp, all of those. Those are all big tech operations. And guess who writes the big checks for campaigns on both sides of the aisle? Big tech. Biggest checks written out there come from owners and operators of these big tech conglomerates. This is the first step towards knocking these big tech companies to their knees 
in the way of accountability. I am a fan. I'm a fan. Let's get the inside skinny about Elon and what's going on there. And it is time for the word on Wall Street. Top investors watching your money. Join me right now. Strategic Wealth Partners President and CEO Mark Tepper and Creative Planning CEO and Chief Investment Officer Peter Malouk. Great to see everybody this morning. Thank you, gentlemen, for being here. Mark, I want to kick it off with you with the breaking news story of the morning. Twitter shares up 11% right now as Elon Musk is offering to acquire 100% of the company uh, for $54.20 a share. Uh, Twitter, as you can see, is up 11%. Musk is offering $43 billion price tag for the entire company. Uh, in an SEC filing, uh, the Tesla CEO made his intentions known, and he wrote a letter to the chairman of Twitter saying this, Since making my investment, I now realize the company will neither thrive nor serve this societal uh, imperative in its current form. Twitter needs to be transformed as a private company. Mark, your reaction. I absolutely love Elon Musk. The guy's my hero. I mean, everything he touches turns to gold. We all know he doesn't give a damn about being politically correct. He's a big proponent of free speech. And Twitter's had awful leadership over the last several years. So there's room for a ton of improvement. And if anyone can do it, it's probably Elon Musk. I mean, he's recently you know, publicly stated that Twitter needs to hold an unbiased point of view on users' comments and not cancel people that have different opinions. And, and it's really that town square approach to free speech that we've talked about in the past. He tweeted a week or two ago, it was a survey, I found it pretty interesting, asking if people wanted an edit button. That's something that users have been asking about for such a long time, but there's been zero response from Twitter. Why haven't they done anything about that? And, and this is so yeah. interesting because I was talking with my brother-in-law on Monday about this at dinner. I told him Twitter's market cap was under $40 billion at the time, and Elon could easily stroke a check for the entire company. I mean, his net worth is just shy of $300 billion, so it's a drop in the bucket. So, look, hypothetically, I would love for this to happen. I think if you value mm. free speech, this is great for society. Will it happen? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he said it was his best and final offer. It was right. his offers a 40 percent premium to the 39 bucks it was trading at. But the stock was 70 bucks last year. I hope it goes through. I would enjoy using Twitter even more if Elon owned it and if Elon was making the decisions. But we'll see. Well, you say it's a 39 percent premium. Uh, Elon Musk is saying that at 54.20, that represents a 54 percent premium over the day before he began investing in Twitter. So he's talking about a 38 percent premium, like you say, over the day before his investment was publicly announced. But before he actually started buying the stock, he says this is a 54 percent premium. And then he says, if it's not yeah. accepted, I would need to reconsider my position as a shareholder. So, Mark, the question is, if the board says, no, no, bye bye, Elon Musk, how far down does Twitter stock sell off? What, he, what does he own? I think it's nine point something percent. So it's just under 10 percent. So you know, if, yeah. he's, if he goes full blown fire sale and unloads his 10 percent, yeah. Twitter could drop yeah. 10, 20 percent pretty easily because selling will yeah. exacerbate and, and selling begets more selling. So I think yeah, if this it's doesn't it's go the through, it's the, it's the yeah, Twitter's going to crash. Yeah. The board of Twitter, they need to realize who they're facing off with. Elon Musk is literally a heavyweight. Most of these people 
that are serving on these boards of these big tech companies. They're people that know big tech really well. Most of them have grown up in Silicon Valley, and they understand all of that, and they know about economics, but they're filthy rich from the corporations that they've been with, and they've been able to cash in because they're inside the deal getting stock and stock options at great prices, selling it when it goes up, and then they get fat and sassy. Elon Musk, he was on the ground with his company. He was in it day one. And so he understands the entire process of building a company from nothing. Most of these people that are on the board of directors of Twitter, we're talking about Twitter, those people, they came up through the corporations, not just Twitter. There probably is nobody that came up through Twitter on the board of directors there. Elon Musk, as it pertains to anything and everything to do with Tesla, he knows the company inside out, the good, the bad. He knows all the processes. He knows all the bad stuff that we don't know about. So he's got that kind of thinking. He's got that going in his favor as he faces off trying to buy 100% of the company. These board of directors, I guarantee you, their heads are spinning. They've probably been on Zoom meetings and conference calls nonstop since yesterday. And because of the kind of people they are, every one of them has the cure, the plan, the perfect way to push Elon Musk back and keep him from taking over our company that we have made available to the American people and everybody around the world. They consider themselves the absolute necessity for communication on the planet. And their plans, folks, have never even considered somebody buying them out. They've never considered it. If they had, let me tell you what would have already happened. We would have had a press conference. We would have seen it announced. And probably at least two or three Probably the chairman, maybe the president, whoever those are, and I could look them up and get them. They would get up and stand up and say, we appreciate Mr. Musk and his interest in Twitter. We are reconsider or we are considering his offer at this particular time, how that would fit into the long plan that we have here from the very beginning to where we are now and going forward as a major corporation. Our stockholders, yada, 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 yada. They would have already had that, but they haven't. They've circled the wagons, and they are in defense mode. I promise you, they're scared to death. And Elon Musk, if he comes in there, he's going to get to do anything and everything he wants to do. And the first thing, he'll, he'll totally get rid of the senior management of Twitter. Why would he do that? In the first place, they wouldn't be his fans. And I'm going to tell you, as a company owner myself, when we had 100-plus employees, I didn't want anybody working there that didn't like me. Now, granted, I didn't expect everybody there to love me and, and think I'm a great guy and never question anything I say or do. That's not the point. The point is you've got to have people that are on the same page regarding operating that company. Those people are the heart of any corporation, they're not the people that sit around the boardroom. They're the people that go out, they hire people, they they plan, they prepare company operations, and they make sure everybody beneath them on their charge 
is doing everything they are supposed to do, have all the resources necessary to reach whatever that department's objectives are, and it all flows upstream. That's the way these big corporations operate. I'm watching it, and I'm going to snicker when the world hears that former President Donald Trump is back on Twitter. (laughs) That will be wonderful to me. It will be a victory for free speech. It'll be a victory for every person out there that has a Twitter account, and they've been slapped with a temporary stay of execution <laughs> where they get blocked. Something they tweet, they it, it, it turns somebody off at the office, and it's probably just some fact checker sitting there just randomly choosing these tweets to censor. It's going to make everybody feel happy that finally the First Amendment is going to be honored by big tech. What's ahead here? We got a lot ahead, folks. Morning Joe. Oh, my gosh. You don't watch Morning Joe, do you, Dan? Very seldom do I watch it. And actually, we're going to listen to Mika go absolutely nuts. Mika is going to go crazy about Biden's inflation. I mean, she screams on air. You're not going to believe this. She's coming along. Then we have Brett Baer on Fox News, a very good segment of this show where he and several others weigh into the gender decisions being made around the nation by educators, bureaucratic educators, about what, when, and how how our kids, our children, our babies, I'm talking about kindergarten, through third grade are getting explained the realities of the human body and about sexuality. You don't want to miss the rest of this show today. You got a big holiday tomorrow. You might as well listen to the whole show today and join in toll free. Ask questions, make comments. 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7- 884. Back with you right after this. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie. Hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. 
Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into. Like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it. For a limited time, at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Just sitting here thinking about where we should go first right now. You remember this song? The Temptations. Papa was a Rolling Stone. Boy, they did music different back in the 60s, didn't they? Where do we go first? Where do we stop? Do we get into our school gender discussions? Why don't we do this? Let's go to Morning Joe. Mika, you know who Mika is. Mika Brzezinski. She is Joe's wife. And a lot of people don't realize that. When the show started, they were not married. In fact, well, they were married, but not to each other. And, of course, then the sparks flew. And for years, everybody in New York knew those two were having affairs with each other. Everybody except their respective spouses. They got busted, they were divorced, and then they hooked up. Well, they're not together right now. It's the strangest arrangement I've ever seen. Joe, he lives 24-7 in Florida. Mika's in New York. Do you know why that is? Money. Both of them have some pretty hefty contracts from NBC. Actually, they're on MSNBC. Morning Joe is their morning show that they do. But with Joe living in Florida, and that's their principal residency, he gets to take his paycheck in Florida and doesn't pay New York taxes. You do know Florida has no personal income tax. So they're doing what they bloviate about every other person that does. They're using the system. (laughs) And when Donald Trump moved his principal residency from New York to Florida, those two were just beating him up for it. Not long after that, very quietly, they did the same thing when Joe went down there And he works from there, therefore, his paychecks are going there, and he's not paying New York income tax. He got that for free. Well, they make a lot of money. They're very mad. They're angry about Bidenflation, and they've just had enough. And yesterday, Mika, she just boiled over. She went absolutely nuts about the inflation that has happened under this president. They loved it when they had Donald Trump in the White House. Everything bad that happened on the planet, they attributed to something that Donald Trump either did, said, or didn't do. He was the big problem for everybody in the world. Well, Donald's not around anymore. So what is her beef? Just how much inflation is soaring, and the numbers are staggering. The Consumer Price Index jumped 8.5% in March from 12 months earlier. That is the biggest year-over-year growth 
in 40 years. You have to go back to 1981 to see a similar jump in the costs of food, gasoline, and housing. As the AP frames it, the economic squeeze is effectively wiping out the pay raises that many people have received, and that's probably just the beginning. Joining us now, NBC News senior business analyst and host of the 11th hour, so we thank you for coming in so early, Stephanie Rule. Uh, Steph, break it down for us. It ain't good. When you look at these numbers year over year, you said it. We have not been in this place in 40 years. And the biggest increases, it's gas, it's rent, it's food, all the things you need to buy every day. So the people who are already the most economically vulnerable are going to be hit the hardest. And you mentioned it. We've talked a lot about the good news about wages being up so much over the last year. When you account for inflation, hourly wages are actually down almost 3%. There you go. Now put it in the context of the reality of who that was. MSNBC, their morning show, supposedly the biggest show of the day, Morning Joe. And they're up there railing, not using his name, but they're railing against the policies in this nation that have caused this horrible inflation. And did you know, did you hear this morning, Joe Biden's approval ratings are down in the low 30s across the board. I've never seen anything like this regarding any president since they began to keep these these polls, these approval numbers. I've never seen anything like this. And Biden won't stop. I mean, he's like the, uh, the rabbit with the battery. Never stops, just keeps going, 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 going. It's like somebody is pulling his strings, and maybe somebody really is. Maybe he's a a marionette, and somebody's up above just pulling the strings, and he's doing it only what he's told to do. And that would explain a lot if that came out, wouldn't it? We'd understand a lot more. What are the Democrat Party about? Money, money, money. When they get elected, what are they about? Money, money, money. And they don't worry about spending. Oh, my goodness. If we need more money down the road, yeah, we'll just we'll just go grab another credit card. You know, we'll draw it on the American people's account for their great 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 grandchildren to pay back, if ever. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he is hollering and screaming. He used an online forum yesterday to enthuse over Democrat plans to forgive federal student loans. Now, when he did this forum, he assured left-wing activists that Joe Biden is closer than ever to making the unilateral move that if he makes it, it's going to leave taxpayers encumbered with more than $1.37 trillion. $1.37 trillion in outstanding debt. Let me ask you this. I'm not a constitutional scholar. I don't know all of the ins and outs of the requirements and also the abilities of people in politics, how they can do things in the law and not do some of those things in the law. I find it hard to believe that Joe Biden or any president could unilaterally determine that the American people had to take on $1.37 trillion in outstanding debt of any kind. I thought the United States Congress oversaw all financial matters in the U.S. government. 
Schumer previously nominated 50 grand as the amount every individual student could expect to get relieved of. That's where the president and his administration will ultimately land, we are told. Schumer told the State of Student Debt Summit in a virtual event that Biden seeks to deliver debt forgiveness that Democrat supporters of every ilk say is going to ensure an equitable economic recovery from the effects of the shutdowns amid the COVID pandemic. What about the rest of the Americans, guys? What about the horrible things that happened to them because of the pandemic and the shutdowns? Schumer said, I've talked personally to the president on this issue a whole bunch of times. I've told him this is more important than just about anything else that he can do on his own. We're making progress, folks. We're making progress. The White House seems more open to it than ever before. During the next break, I'm going to reach out to 4th Congressional District Congressman Mike Johnson. He serves on several really big, powerful committees in the House of Representatives. I got to find out, can Biden actually do this on his own? We're not talking about ten dollars or $20,000, folks. We're talking about more than a trillion dollars, $1.37 trillion in outstanding debt. Now, you know what? In this thing, it's not what troubles me is not about the money, though it, that does trouble me. But the dollar value in the context of what it's all about, to me, is insignificant. What it's all about is an authoritarian atmosphere that has taken over the Potomac Valley in Washington, D.C. Authoritarian. I thought Donald Trump had moved to Florida, Dan. Well, he did, but he wasn't an authoritarian, and he didn't implement or try to implement any authoritarian policies. Authoritarianism, what it means is one person or one small group of people control everything in a government and make unilateral decisions about everything. That is 180 degrees away from where the Constitution was set up and structured and created to make sure that that did not happen. It's within authoritarianism that somebody could write a $1.37 trillion check and draw that check on the bank account of the American people that they were supposedly serving. I'll find out as quickly as possible. Michael will respond. I, I, he knows we're on the air. In fact, in the next break, I'm going to send him a text and see if he will answer it, and I'll get it for you. It scares me to think that anybody even has the authority to do something like that. It, it just should not. It should not be allowed if it is allowed. Did you hear about, very quietly, the Biden administration agreed to amend some U.S. park policy and Secret Service policies. They're doing this as part of a a partial settlement agreement reached with Black Lives Matter. Remember those protesters who were removed by law enforcement right around the White House in June of 2020? The Park Police and Secret Service agreed to update and clarify their policies governing demonstrations and to implement the policy changes within 30 days. Now, when the Justice Department was reached out to, 
They said the changes are to settle claims in four civil lawsuits brought by demonstrators who said, and they claim in their suits, their rights were violated in Lafayette Square in D.C. Those changes within the law enforcement agency policies, what do they include? More specific requirements for visible identification of officers, limits on the use of non-lethal force, and procedures to facilitate safe crowd dispersal. Now, I'm not a law enforcement officer, but based on the context and when this happened and what was going on then and what might happen in similar circumstances going forward, I wouldn't want this to be implemented. I really wouldn't. All it will do, folks, you can't, in the heat of a demonstration, a peaceful demonstration that is in the process of turning into a riot, you can't just all of a sudden say, whoop, stop. Well, go ahead. I've got to stop right here. If I go any further, I'll get in trouble. And that is not just regarding things like lethal force, but non-lethal force. They want to put requirements and limits on the use of non-lethal force. The inference there, of course, is that cops are bad. They're going to go in and their default position is going to be go nuclear right when you start the whole situation. Incidentally, the agreement that's proposed, the U.S. government did not admit any wrongdoing as part of the settlement. Also, the United States has said it's a partial agreement, and in it, it calls for Black Lives Matter D.C. to dismiss claims for non-monetary relief against the U.S. government. The lawsuit, what it alleges, is that federal agencies used unreasonable force to enable a photo op. You remember this famous thing? President Trump holding a Bible outside of St. John's Church. One government watchdog has rejected the claim that cops cleared protesters so Trump could pose for a photograph. In a June 2021 report, the Interior Department's Inspector General said police dispersed protesters as part of a plan made earlier in the day for a contractor to install temporary fencing. Go figure. But of course, our mainstream media, they immediately jumped to, there's Trump. He's got a photo app. He's in front of the church. And look what happened. All these peaceful legal protesters were run out of the park. That makes good news. Anti-Trump stuff always makes good news. And speaking of D.C. and speaking of conflict and nastiness that seems to happen up there quite a lot now, January 6, 2020, will we ever forget it? (laughs) I don't think we'll ever be able to. But what we did find out and verified, and uh, we had reported that it actually did happen previously based on our eyewitness that was there, Steve, you remember we had the lengthy conversation. He's actually been on the show twice, photojournalist right from my hometown here. He was up there, his videos of everything that went on on January 6th. You've seen him on news media outlets. You didn't even know it was him that was shooting it and news outlets around the world have been using it. He told us the first time we spoke live here, at least 20 FBI and ATF and explosive assets were embedded all around the U.S. Capitol that day. 
Now, this disclosure was made. Nobody came forward and gave us a report on it. It wouldn't be nice. Wouldn't it be really nice if our agencies that do things like this after the fact, we obviously wouldn't want to know about it. We wouldn't want the public to know about it before the incident is about to take place because then they would they would be prepared for these embedded federal assets. But after the event's all over, wouldn't it be nice if they told us what they did to try to protect us? Not this Department of Justice. David Fisher, who's an attorney for Thomas Caldwell, who is from Berryville, Virginia, filed a 41-page motion to dismiss four counts on behalf of all Oath Keepers case defendants before a U.S. district judge. Caldwell is charged in the incident but he's not a member of the Oath Keepers. It was during discovery in an unbelievably innocent document that these attorneys found out that 20 federal assets, combination of Secret Service and FBI agents, were embedded. They were undercover on January 6th. I wonder if the January 6th committee that's just across the parkway in the Capitol meeting almost daily, the witch hunt to try to get Donald Trump for something else. I wonder if they've taken this up and looked into that. The answer, I'll give it to you, absolutely not. They don't give a rip about trying to find out what's good for the American people unless, in their opinion, of course, that it would be good, not just for the American people, but first it's got to be good for the January 6th committee. They only have one purpose for being in existence. We get all this fluff that comes out every once in a while, but they've got liars all over it. Adam Schiff already got busted for manufacturing and presenting to the committee quote-unquote evidence, trying to implicate Donald Trump in something he had nothing to do with. Twenty agents embedded just checking on us all to make sure our hands are clean, right? Your daily dose of the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Truth. Justice. The TNN way. This is TNN. The Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. As promised in the break, I just sent a quick text to Congressman Mike Johnson about that $1.7 trillion worth of student debt. Can a president unilaterally 
just forgive a debt like that without going to Congress, without getting any authorization. We'll be watching our responses, and if he replies between now and the end of the show, we'll be sure and let you know. So where do we go from here? There's plenty on the on the plate, folks. The Durham probe. You know John Durham. He's looking for all kind of stuff. We've been told that. And every once in a while, he throws out some documents, amends some filings, and we find out that he really is on track to get to the bottom of the corruption that happened in the 2016 election, the Russia collusion thing. Well, there's there's more news out this morning coming out of that. A federal judge presiding over the case of that Clinton campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman. Sussman denied that he had done anything wrong. Of course, documents prove otherwise. And Sussman appealed to the court to just cancel his trial. In February, Sussman filed a motion to dismiss the case against him totally. He was charged with making a false statement to a federal agent and has pled not guilty. So in a court filing yesterday, District Judge Chris Cooper outlined the charges against Sussman brought by the Durham and Panel Grand Jury last year. He detailed the indictment. Here's what it alleges. Sussman told then-FBI General Counsel James Baker way back in September of 2016, less than two months before the election, that he was not doing work for any client when he requested and he got a meeting in which he presented, quote, purported data and white papers that allegedly demonstrated a covert communications channel between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank which has ties to the Kremlin. Now, remember, this is even before the election. This was before the Russia collusion thing really got amped up. Specifically, Sussman allegedly told Baker that he was not attending the meeting on behalf of any client, when in fact, he had assembled and was conveying the information on behalf of two specific clients. Who were they? A technology industry exec named Rodney Joffe, And guess who? Hillary Clinton. This is what the judge said. And he continued, the FBI opened an investigation based on the information Sussman provided the FBI, but ultimately determined there was insufficient evidence to support even the existence of a communication channel between the Trump campaign and that Russian bank. Sussman has pled not guilty to the charge. He denies lying to the FBI. The judge wrote that Sussman's only argument for dismissal is that even taking the allegations in the indictment as true, his purported misrepresentation to Baker is immaterial as a matter of law and therefore cannot support a conviction. Under U.S. Code 1001, making false statements to a federal agent. And Cooper wrote very simply, the court will deny the motion. He explains that Sussman argued that his statement to Baker, the FBI lawyer, that he was not at the meeting on behalf of a client, could not have possibly influenced what was, in his view, the only discreet decision before the Bureau at the time, whether to initiate an investigation into the Trump campaign's asserted communications with the bank. Cooper said that Sussman ignores the second part of the test, whether the statement could influence 
any other function of the agency. Sussman seeks to cabin this holding to statements made during the course of an ongoing investigation, but the court sees no basis for that bright line divide. As the special counsel argues, it is at least possible that statements made to law enforcement prior to an investigation could influence the later trajectory of the investigation, and it probably did in this case. Now, let me tell you what what is going on behind the scenes, what this, this whole thing really means. If you flip it back, if you flip it back to, let's say, um, the second year of Donald Trump in the presidency, and this all happened back then, same scenario, same players in the whole thing, but Donald Trump was still in the White House. We would not have seen this happen. We wouldn't have. Why is that? Because the, the, the entire Department of Justice, from top to bottom, even though Donald Trump was president and he made some changes in it, every little crit and cranny of the Department of Justice, top to bottom, including the FBI, was manned by people who hated Trump and were all in for Hillary Clinton and were willing to do anything and everything possible to denigrate Donald Trump and get him thrown out of office, discredit him, destroy him, anything and everything it took to get rid of him. None of this would have happened, what you're seeing happen now. This United States government is not supposed to function like this. It's supposed to be three co-equal branches of government that all have supervision of some sort over the other branches. They're supposed to work together equally in charge of running our government. Donald Trump wanted to cement that. He wanted it to be making more sense, functioning better, getting along with each other, working together on mutual things that are better for the American people. That's what he wanted. They could not stand him for that. When they realized he was not just a campaigner-in-chief, but was a commander-in-chief and wasn't only telling us good things that he would do if he was elected, after he was elected, he began to do them. One at a time. Bam, 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 bam. The only things that he promised during his campaign that he didn't do were all those things that Congress stood up against him and wouldn't allow to happen. And every one of those things the American people wanted to happen, but Congress was the roadblock. The ship has changed. Isn't it interesting? We have a Democrat in the White House. You would think that the Department of Justice would be full of full of puppets for Joe Biden and whoever is really behind Joe Biden running the government. Well, they are. But this dog was unleashed before Joe Biden took the reins of the nation. And Merrick Garland, you remember Merrick Garland? He was that guy that Barack Obama at the very end of his of his presidency, he nominated Merrick Garland to take an open seat at the U.S. Supreme Court. The Senate majority was Republican, and Mitch McConnell, who was the majority leader at the time, refused to allow 
consideration in the Senate of confirming Merrick Garland because it was the last year, it was late in the last year of Obama's presidency. You remember all of that? Things are different now. Things are different now. Merrick Garland, this is kind of uh, ironic the way this is happening. Merrick Garland obviously was angry. He He didn't get his day in court. And it wouldn't be day in court, but even consideration to move up from his seat. He was on a very prestigious seat in a federal court in Washington, D.C. But the obvious number one thing for any attorney in America that they could ever hope to be in their profession is a member of the United States Supreme Court. When he was named attorney general, I don't understand why he did it. John Durham had been appointed under Donald Trump to head this extra, this different investigation into the roots of the Russia collusion thing. And he's been looking at everything and everybody inside the Trump organization, inside the Clinton organization. And he found out that not only was the Clinton campaign involved, they funded a lot of the disinformation and the lies and stuff that were presented to the media who took it and ran with it. You would think when Merrick Garland serving for Joe Biden, Donald Trump's arch enemy, you would think he would get, because he had the power as attorney general, he could get rid of any and every prosecutor in the nation. In fact, pretty much every time a presidential organization changes from party to another party, the new president coming in, he expects and he asks for the resignations of all of the federal prosecutors. And I think there are 64 districts in the nation that that would be. And it it was never a big deal. And in many cases, not just one or two, but in dozens of cases, those that didn't resign, they were fired by the incoming president. Not only did Merrick Garland not fire John Durham, he gave him 100% unfettered authority. Nobody, he works for nobody. He answers to nobody but the Attorney General. That, my friends, is going to sink those on the other side that perpetrated the Russia collusion story. We're just going to see how it works out. Southern border stuff. Oh my gosh. Is it going nuts or what? Every day it's something new. Yesterday, more than 50 House Republicans announced their pressing customs and border patrol over the possibility, listen to this, that the CBP may use Veterans Affairs medical personnel to stem an expected migrant border surge. Listen now. The letter they wrote comes a little over a month before the May 23rd end date for the Title 42 policy. That's that public health order that allows for the expulsion, the immediate expulsion of most migrants entering the U.S. because of COVID-19. So after Biden announced earlier this month he was going to end the order, fears grew immediately over what's going to happen. A huge surge of migrants to the southern border is a result of suspending Title 42. Shortly before Biden's announcement that CBP was thinking about the idea to have VA personnel assist in taking care of the migrants. On March 29th this year, 
a Border Patrol report indicated a surge of border crossings was imminent due to the rescinding of this authority. The report presents a dire situation that may cause as many as 18,000 possible encounters each day. If this number is accurate, this could result in over half a million encounters in a single month. This is from the letter that was penned by Representative Jody Heiss from Georgia. Currently, Customs and Border Protection does not have the facilities or manpower to handle the anticipated massive surge. And they sent this letter, of course, to Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, and the letter stated that any consideration of moving VA medical personnel to the border would be deeply troubling. Moving VA medical staff away from our veterans' health care needs to examine illegal immigrants is a recipe for disaster. Wait times for a veteran to see their doctor can average 22 days right now, reach as high as 42 days. This is unacceptable mismanagement of federal government resources by the Biden administration and moving those people away from working with and treating our veterans is unconscionable. Heiss was joined by 53 other House Republicans on the letter. Those include GOP Conference Chair Elise Stefanik, Representatives Kat Kamek, Dan Crenshaw, and Andy Biggs. According to one CBP source who's worked in law enforcement for more than 20 years. He's familiar with the process, using personnel from the VA to assist in medical care and COVID-19 shots for migrants, is not being ruled out yet by Mayorkas and Joe Biden. Here's what's happening, folks. Here's what's happening. The rights of Americans have already, they're not in the process of being, they have already been taken away from us in exchange for giving those and many other things to illegals that come here. Biden has extended the federal mask mandate for you and me traveling on commercial buses and flights while what they're doing right now at the same time they are carrying out plans to end COVID restrictions, not for you and me, for border crossers and illegal aliens. The CDC yesterday said that federal transportation mask mandate, which has been in place since 2020, is going to stay in effect for at least two more weeks. Since early April, there have been increases in the seven-day moving average of COVID cases here. The CDC mask order remains in effect, while CDC assesses the potential impact of these new cases rising in number including hospitalizations and deaths and healthcare system capacity. TSA will extend the Security Directive and Emergency Amendment for two weeks through May the 3rd. So at the same time, the CDC, the same agency, Joe Biden, the same president, is officially ending the Title 42 Public Health Authority on May 23rd, three weeks after the mask ban supposedly ends. The authority first imposed by Donald Trump allows federal immigration officials to quickly return illegals to their native countries. Why? To protect us from illnesses, diseases, and viruses just like COVID. By doing this, 
The Biden administration is planning to open its expansive catch-and-release network to hundreds of thousands of border crossers and illegals who are expected to arrive every month at the U.S.-Mexico border, and they're all seeking release in the American communities. Do you understand what catch-and-release is? They come in, you log them in, you try to figure out who they are. In In most cases, absolutely most cases, you have no way to identify them. You don't have time to check them out. You don't know if they're terrorists. Really, you don't even know where they're from. And so you sign them up, they get a a notice to appear at this court to be heard for your asylum claim on this date in this location, and then they just let them go. Can you imagine half a million a month of these people coming in here and Joe Biden is doing it and it's okay? They're not even testing all of the illegals that have been coming in for the last year and a half for COVID-19. They don't test them. So just forget about COVID. Do you know all of the other diseases that come up here from South America, Central America? They don't have medical systems and opportunities and plans like we have here. Their kids aren't vaccinated for everything under the sun when they're four or five years old. They're finding in these immigrants that are coming in here dozens of different diseases among these people. Much of those are infectious, and some of them are even contagious. Biden doesn't care. Secretary Mayorkas doesn't care. You you don't know their hearts, Dan. You don't know that. No, I do know that. You know why? If they cared, they have the power to change it. They can change it and make it do that, you know, that very uncommon thing. They can abide by the laws that the U.S. Congress passed and presidents signed into law about immigration. Instead, this president performing and conducting legally impeachment matters every single day. Anthony Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, not Anthony, Alejandro Mayorkas. He is and should be He is eligible by his actions to be impeached and removed and actually could be prosecuted for violating federal laws, suborning suborning the enforcement of federal laws that are on the books. You don't want to hear me preach about the rule of law and what's going on because it makes me nauseated to think that our federal officials are out there purposely ignoring the law. And they do it with impunity. They really don't give a rip. They really don't care. All they're after is power. That's what's at the bottom of all of this. Well, 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 what else is out there? We've got inflation. We just mentioned it, just a little bit of it, A little while ago, we got some other stuff that you need to hear about. This thing that's happened down in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis, that bill down there that is going to prevent public teachers, public educators from teaching our babies all about sex, beginning at age five, and people are going stark, raving crazy. You don't want to miss 
this little panel discussion on that issue. And we'll have that right after this. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto, 529-8342. 529-8342. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. happened to those guys seals and croft do you remember them they had diamond girl they had summer breeze as 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 a pair i mean they did some really different sounding music and i really enjoyed all of that just got a note from steve baker our friend from shreveport louisiana the photojournalist that i reminded you of earlier in the show today um, he was all over what happened January 6, 2020. As a photojournalist, he, he was videoing everything. His videos have been all over the world. And um, the Department of Justice has, uh, has been after him aggressively. They keep notifying his attorney that uh, he's about to be arrested. And they haven't arrested him yet. But he's going to come on the show at 9 in the morning. He'll be here live, and he's going to give you an update, give us an update about what's going on. You know, the interesting thing, and it happens all the time, I still don't understand how they get away with it, but they get away with it. Um, Lots of stuff that happens in D.C., we don't get a true picture of. In fact, he (laughs) he is sending me, I've just got one, two, three, three, uh, (laughs) three texts from Steve. He, uh, He's mad about something. I don't know what it is. I guess we'll find out in the morning at 9 a.m. Tell your friends. Tell them Steve Baker, photojournalist. He's been all over the news. In fact, I saw him live that day, the January 6th, when it was going on. He was in front of the cameras, and he was even being asked some questions as a photojournalist. 
Well, he's been with us here a couple of times. New developments, he says. And so we're going to find out tomorrow morning about that. Nine o'clock sharp. That's central time. What else is going on? I told you that we were going to go to a, a conversation that happened yesterday on Fox News. Brett Baer and some others weighing in. This is a very controversial issue. And it's very difficult to weigh into. I mean, think about all of And I'm talking about kids or young babies, five, six, seven, eight years old, learning about sex, including all about our own bodies, and not just about our biological stuff, but about our options regarding our sexual identities. I mean, these kids, they're just now learning how to spell. And they're wanting public educators to have the sole rights to present all of this medical, biological stuff, emotional stuff that we all learn about from our parents. That's what our parents teach us. With no supervision, no say-so on content, just let the educators do it their way and teach our kids about all this? This is the most reprehensible thing that I have heard about. Not just the pocketbook issues that have Democrats worried about the midterm elections, but also parents' rights and progressive school districts trying to eliminate input on what kids learn in class. That would be parental input. That includes New Jersey, where Republicans are now calling for the governor to put a stop to planned sex ed lessons for first graders, including discussions of gender identity, lessons in which some teachers are set to tell children ages six and seven that they can be a boy or a girl or a little bit of both. Let's bring in special report anchor Brett Baer. One of the people who's most uh, critical of this is the New Jersey State Senator uh, Holly Scapisi. Here's what she told America's Newsroom yesterday. Let's listen. And it just goes way too far. We're teaching first graders, kindergartners, that if you have a penis, it doesn't mean that you're a boy. If you have a vagina, it doesn't mean you're a girl. We've just really kind of lost our way in what we're trying to teach our children. I remember first grade, and I don't remember any of that coming up, Brett, but what children are being taught in school was a huge issue in last November's election and looks like it's going to be again this year as well. It does. Good afternoon, John. I think this political issue is nuclear. It is potentially nuclear that crosses party lines, Democrat, independent, Republican. It's parents dealing with teachers and there's practicality of a first grader coming home and you're trying to, you don't, haven't even talked about the birds and the bees, let alone <laughs> the birds and the birds. And you are waiting uh, to see and yet they're so young. So that's the concern for some of these parents. And in New Jersey, it is coming to a head and Governor uh, Phil Murphy is feeling the pressure. Uh, again, not just from Republicans who have a point of view about schooling, but from Democrats who think that uh, progressivism has gone too far. And we're hearing this reverberate throughout the country. And that's why you're seeing polls indicate that there could be a big shift come November. You know, this is a, this is a conversation that, that has come up in, in you know my daily life, talking with a lot of parents of some of the other kids that our kids go to school with. And there's a question of whether kids in first grade even understand the concepts of gender identity, gender gender fluidity and, and, and gender role stereotypes. But, but to a bigger point, it's an issue of parental control. 
parents are being told by the state what their children are going to be taught, and the state is saying, parents, you don't have a say in this. And that's the biggest part. And we saw that in real form politically in the state, the Commonwealth of Virginia and Governor Glenn Youngkin and his win. Uh, largely, I mean, obviously dealing with the economy and a host of other issues, but education did play high in that race. And I think it's the potential is that it's going to play other places. Let's be clear. This is not about denigrating LGBTQ mm -mm. Um, or not providing a safe space uh, for those those kids or those the parents of those kids but it's about teaching um, gender identity and teaching actual uh, school classes or some curriculum that deals with that uh, these parents who are speaking up of all ideologies are saying yeah. hey listen just writing reading arithmetic that's what <laughs> That's what I'd like to start with. Yeah, and after two years of COVID lockdowns, maybe some attention needs to be paid to those. The, the critics are concerned that these discussions at this early age may push children in a direction that they're either not ready for or may not be heading in at all. There was an interesting uh, op-ed in the Washington Post yesterday written by Corinna Cohn. As a boy, she had gender reassignment surgery at the age of 19 to become a woman. She now says she would have waited to make the transition. She writes, I shudder to think of how distorting today's social media is for confused teenagers. I'm also alarmed by how readily authority figures facilitate transition. I had to persuade two therapists, an endocrinologist and a surgeon to give me what I wanted. None of them were under crushing professional pressure as they now would be to affirm my choice. I mean, the, the pressure in society is, is leaning toward, well, if you feel like you're not the gender that you were assigned at birth, I like to say the way that you were born, because you were either born with an XX chromosome or XY, uh, then uh, you know, you, you, you're, you're not part of society if you're not helping to push people in these directions. I'm not a child psychologist, I'm not a biologist, but I am somebody who looks at political wins. And I can see this, this is a tornado. And if uh, Democrats think that this kind of progressivism in schools is somehow going to get their base fired up, I think they're probably mistaken. And, and I just think practically, from a political point of view, not from the scientific side, I think it's, it's just what parents uh, want to have a say yeah. in, in everything, especially that young. Yeah, I mean, we're both parents, and, you know, what, what our kids are being taught and how they grow up is the most important thing to us. And uh, I think it's going to be a big issue November 8th, no question about it. Brett, thank yeah. you. We'll see you tonight. What you just heard were two very good professional journalists. And did you hear them struggling? You could tell they wanted to say something, but they were hesitant to say it, obviously, because they're on national television and millions of people are looking in. You don't want to offend your audience by giving up something that you may be thinking about. And even if you've thought it through and you've come down to, this is exactly what I believe, you got to be really careful. We shouldn't have to think that way. We should be able to express our feelings, our concerns, anything and everything that has to do with our kids, folks. Our kids. We're talking about the, the, the most vulnerable people on earth. And they're on our watch. They're under our care. 
we signed on to this whole responsibility when we decided to have kids. We shouldn't have to hesitate about it. We should be able to be demonstrative. This is one of those up-against-the-wall things for me. Now, my kids and grandkids are all past the age of having to deal with that time of life and the decisions that go and come from principally parents. So it's not going to directly impact me, but when I look around at my friends, I look around at the people I know and people I don't even know, and thinking about teachers, formerly teachers in the United States, oh my gosh, they were they were second only to moms and dads. In some cases, moms and dads had to fight with teachers to keep their spots with their children. That is over. It's gone. Teachers have, because of money, because of politics, because of unions, and because of a sense of superiority and enlightenment, they just feel like they take a place. They have earned a place, and they're going to demand, and they are demanding to take that place in the lives of our kids where they know more about our kids They know more about what's best for our kids than do we. That's a bad place to be in. I I don't care. I hear this thing, well, we spend more time with your kids than you do. Even if that's true, and I don't think it is, there may be, and I'm certain there are circumstances where it is true, but it's not across the board. Not every parent, not every parent, is a perfect parent. Not every parent has the time to be able to spend that kind of time with their kids. The pressures of life just weigh in. People have to work. Two jobs in a household is very common now, more and more common as a matter of fact. And yeah, in that scenario, teachers are critically important, not just about X's and O's in school. I shouldn't say X's and O's. I should say A's and B's but about teaching our kids social skills, how to react and interact among other people, those kind of things. But when it comes to the nuts and bolts of growing up and being who these kids are going to be, it is not, never has been. And in my situation, and in my opinion, it never should be that teachers are the principal sources of all of the input into the minds and hearts of our children about everything. That's not the deal that we signed up for. We signed up for educational teaching. What are those things? Math, science, history, learning about the landscape of living in the United States of America and living as the U.S. being just one of 192 other countries. That's a big job in itself. And I can tell you this, I don't care who the teacher is. They're not equipped to do all of that. And then on top of that, take responsibility for and take over teaching our kids about biology and sex and all of those kinds of things. We cannot let that happen. Ron DeSantis, in my mind, is a hero because he's taken on all the ills of social engineering that has been perpetrated by and financed by and ruled pretty much by big tech 
and big dollars. That's not the way life is supposed to happen. So, let's just transition a little bit. We've got about 25 minutes left in the show. We haven't talked about Hunter, about Hunter Biden. And it's really, really heating up. Every day more and more information comes out. I would have thought by now, you know, the New York Post, Miranda Devine, she broke this story about Hunter Biden, his laptop, two years ago. You would have thought by now that with all the resources, all these big major um, media outlets have, all the money, all the access to anything they need that they have, they would have been all over this and would have made it a huge event. Americans would be waiting breathlessly every day to get the latest on the Hunter Biden, a.k.a. son of President Biden, everything to do with it, because there is a huge scandal there, and it will be probably, I'm going to predict, it will be a massive blockbuster when it all comes together. Yesterday, 15 GOP U.S. House members, they reached out to the Department of Justice to get a briefing on the latest status. Legal questions plaguing Hunter Biden, they continue to arise and cast doubt on his dad, our president, and also his administration from top to bottom. It's imperative that the DOJ brief Congress on the nature of Mr. Weiss's investigation into Hunter. This is from the lawmaker's letter that they wrote to Biden-appointed Attorney General Merrick Garland. Congress has a constitutional obligation to conduct oversight of the executive branch and a moral obligation to examine if the president or any other senior official in his administration is ethically compromised or injured. Signatories on the letter, U.S. Representatives Bob Good, who's a Republican from Virginia, as well as high-profile MAGA stalwarts such as Marjorie Taylor Greene, a representative from Georgia, Matt Gates, representative from Florida, as well as Chip Roy from Texas, who separately has become more and more outspoken against the left radical agenda is Chip Roy, along with Freedom Caucus Chair Andy Biggs, Republican from Arizona. The younger Biden, that's what they're calling him in all these legal ramblings, the younger Biden, Hunter, is reportedly under an investigation by David Weiss, the U.S. Attorney in Delaware, for allegedly influence peddling in Ukraine, China, and elsewhere. A grand jury has reportedly been in panel as part of the probe. Weiss took office during the Trump administration, was one of the few or maybe even the only U.S. attorney nominated by Trump who was still in office. Both Bidens have denied any improprieties. It's complete speculation at this point whether the DOJ investigation is going to result in any civil or criminal violations or liability for anybody. The GOP lawmakers said Congress needs to be informed of the DOJ's inquiry into Hunter and his alleged profitable relationships with foreign nationals in China, Serbia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. They also honed in on Hunter Biden's alleged sources of income from Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma Holdings, Chinese company CEFC, his laptop containing, quote, potentially compromising material and his efforts to help White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain raise about 20 grand 
for the vice president, that was his dad, Vice President's Residence Foundation. On Monday of this week, 100 Republican lawmakers in the House separately called upon the Attorney General to appoint a special counsel to investigate the incumbent president's son in this context to avoid an actual conflict of interest or the appearance of one in the law enforcement agency controlled by the Biden administration. All that makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. Now, let's just take this picture. Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the emails that have been released, the pictures that have been released, the videos that have been released, the documents that have been released that are in public purview. We have no idea how many others and how serious the others are that are in the possession of this federal attorney or the grand jury that is considering all these issues about Hunter Biden. I really appreciate these GOP members sending this letter, but let me tell you what the conundrum is. They're not going to get anything from the DOJ on this, and they shouldn't at this point. Why is that? Well, there's a grand jury impaneled, and there are laws that protect the investigations and information surrounding any active investigation, especially those by an impaneled grand jury. If it was just Weiss, the federal attorney, that would be a different thing, but there is an ongoing investigation, and it's a very serious ongoing investigation. Even if Merrick Garland himself would come before Congress, he would not be able to share the details of the investigation ongoing. It would actually be breaking laws. Now, I understand we're talking about the Biden administration. We're talking about Democrats in power. And we are talking about, and we understand, that uh, they don't have an affinity um, to handle that. They don't care about it. They're just going to blow through it. But we can't see that. That can't happen. Under the rule of law, he's not going to be able Weiss to share all this information with the Congress. I'm one of those people I would dig in, I would immerse myself in it to just get the facts. Just get the facts. And we're just not going to be able to get that publicly, at least right now. So gun control is ramped up again. It just kind of ebbs and flows, all the attention to the guns. With this Subway shooting that happened in Brooklyn yesterday. That guy had a Glock 17. It's a 9mm. I have several Glocks. I don't have a 17. I have a 26 or 27, which is the smaller version of the Glock 9mm. But he fired off more than 50 shots in a very short span of time, which meant, and I haven't heard any comment about it, it meant he had some some clips that he just popped out and put a new one in pretty quickly. All that shooting going on, nobody died. Thank God nobody died. So in the aftermath of all that, a guest today on Joy Reid's MSNBC show, The Readout, suggested that undercover NYPD officers should take to spying on out-of-gun states, out-of-state gun shows, as a proactive measure to prevent firearms from flowing into the beleaguered city. The New York PD, NYPD, has released the names 
of 62-year-old Frank James. They described him as a person of interest at first, then a suspect, then arrested him for shooting a bunch of people, but he wounded 10. Nobody died. After New York City officials held a press conference yesterday, Joy Reid spoke about the incident with a panel of her guests, and she always has some of the greatest thinkers in Washington on her show. I'm joking, of course. You will go to jail for having a gun in New York that you've not licensed to have, Reid said to her panel. If even New York City is dealing with this kind of a crisis, what do the rest of us do? One of her guests, Navi Jamali, who was a national security analyst who claims to have once worked for the FBI, chimed in with his take. He said, look, we're in an age of data. And so the idea that we're going to trace this gun back and whoever had it illegally is going to be prosecuted, of course, that's incredibly important. But here's the part we very rarely go after. And that is to look at the data of where the gun came from. Did it come from a gun show? Did it come from one person who habitually happens to have guns stolen from them? And why isn't that person being investigated, he asked. Why isn't that person being prosecuted? Why isn't the NYPD going and parking out in front of gun shows and starting to take license plates down of people coming down from New York to purchase guns out of state? Look, if we can send NYPD officers out of the country to help encounter terrorism, we should be doing the same here. It's not the first time somebody's advocated spying on gun shows. And in addition to that, why not federal agencies? They've all long partnered with local police to scan license plates of gun show attendees. The Biden administration has made more than just a few demonstratively false claims about gun shows and background checks. But that didn't come up on the Joy Reid show. Do you wonder why? (laughs) I mean, she is a hardcore tank. Take away everybody's civil rights. We can talk about federal legislation, but the reality is, this is Jamali talking, we're never going to have universal federal legislation when it comes to gun things. It's going to be up to the cities and the states to solve this. And if New York City is suffering from the proliferation of guns flowing through the iron pipeline, then New York City should be proactive, as Mayor Adams has indicated he would be, in disputing that iron and disrupting that iron pipeline. Going to the places where those guns are purchased, looking to prosecute people who are, you know, buying guns and then selling them that are used in crimes in New York City, it's not just a gun user we have to go after. We have to go after the gun seller. Now, just think through that entire process that we just, you heard from this guy, who he says is a intelligence expert. We can't just go after the gun owner. We can't go after the gun user. We have to go out and go after the source where the gun came from. Part of that I really like. A majority of all the guns that are used in shootings like this one there, and I guess we call them mass shootings, almost all of those guns have either been bought legally or they at one point were legal 
but they were stolen. And the perpetrator has the gun, which, by the way, unless that perpetrator has a criminal history, they are not breaking the law by having that gun if they did not know it was a stolen gun. If they bought it from someone legally, which is done every day, their possessing the gun is not the problem. This entire thing that you just heard is nothing but a charade. This guy, the guy that shot up the Brooklyn subway station, he bought the gun legally. He bought it at a pawn shop. And he passed the requirements. The FBI approved him. He's okay to buy that gun. There is a daisy daisy chain of things in the If you start at the shooting of somebody and you back it all the way up, all the way up, I don't care how many people are in between, how many people owned a gun, how many people bought a gun, how many people stole that gun, how it got into the hands of the shooter. I mean, it can go forever. You know, the easy way, if there is such a thing to handle this gun problem we have, is to drop the hammer on every offender. I don't have the numbers in front of me of the gun shootings and the deaths at the hand of gun shooters in Chicago just this calendar year. But almost every Monday morning, one of the first things I do is I just scroll over to see how many people got shot, how many died in Chicago over the weekend. Let me just say this. We live in an environment where people don't like cops. And that didn't just happen. It was perpetrated. It was purposely begun, initiated, and it's been seeded for years now to get more and more and more people lashing out visibly, loudly, vocally against law enforcement. The defund the police process that was thrown out there, that wasn't by happenstance. It was coordinated from coast to coast. George Soros donated more than $100 million to causes that were out there vocally advocating for defund the police. We have people in the U.S. Congress today, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, two of the leaders, that they are, they are saying not now, we don't, we don't want to defund the police, but they were when the George Floyd incident happened. They went nuts. we got to get rid of these evil cops. We've got to do away with police. That seed that was sown, it's going to grow. And that's what happens when we plant seeds. Every time, everywhere we plant seeds, they grow. And you're stupid if you think you can plant a watermelon seed and a peach tree is going to grow, when you plant anti-cop rhetoric and you seed it with whatever is necessary to make that that you've planted grow and get more vile, it's going to turn out to be a product of what you put in the ground. We're seeing that happen right now. Lawlessness, extreme lawlessness, criminal activity, shootings, I mean, serious criminal crimes at levels that I've not seen in my life across the nation. And it's coming from this anti-cop rhetoric 
that has been sown demonstrably the last decade to people in every economic status, every social status in the nation. And there's always a criminal that's standing out there willing to help you get it done. You know what I'm talking about. Unless and until our government at every level, federal, state, and local, make unilateral decisions on their own, each of them, to do nothing more than enforce the laws. That's our problem, folks. It's not going after the gun store owners. It's not going after the pawn shops. It's not going after the gun shows. Yeah, there is no doubt. We need to make sure that everybody that buys a gun is checked out to make sure they're okay to own that gun. And guess what? It's being done. Criminals, novel thought. I bet you haven't given this thought. Criminals aren't walking into a Dick's Sporting Goods and going to the gun department and saying, hey, I want to buy that AR-15 up there. Would you sell it to me? Sure, sir, fill this form out. They don't do that because if the form's filled out, it's faxed to the FBI and they know this guy's a criminal, they're going to reject it. That guy doesn't go do that. He knows he's not going to clear. What he does, there are willing criminals all over every town in the United States of America that have illegal guns. Many they bought illegally, many they've stolen themselves. And they're doing it because they want to sell it and make money. They get one of those guns. Unless the cops go after the shooters and throw the book at them every time, every time. If the cops don't go after the illegal gun ownership every time, we're not going to stop this problem. This will never be stopped. This is the only way to stop it. Unless you enforce the laws, forget about it. We're going to be a banana republic, and I think we're close to that right now, where law enforcement doesn't enforce laws. Joe Biden's not. Alejandro Mayorkas is not. Representative Congresswoman, I can't say Congresswoman, I'm sorry. Representative, Ale, uh, what's her name? Ale Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's leading the, 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 the drive. Lawlessness, rampant. Unless they get on board with this, it's not going to stop and it's continue to escalate. I promise you, that's what's happening. What else is happening today? Well, Anthony Fauci stepped out on the world stage yesterday, and I think he stepped in it when he stepped out on the, on the floor. He was on MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell Reports. And he made this statement. Listen to this. You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated. You use lockdowns, and the reason we lock down is not to keep people away from other people necessarily. It's because we want to use those lockdowns to get people vaccinated. Fauci said, China has a number of problems, two of which are the complete lockdown, which was their approach, a strictest lockdown you'd never be able to implement in the U.S. Although that prevents the spread of the infection, I remember early on they were saying, and I think accurately, they were doing better than anyone else. 
You use lockdowns to get people vaccinated so that when you open up, you won't have a surge of infections because they're dealing with an immunologically naive population of the virus because they've not been exposed because of the lockdown. And he added, the problem is the vaccines they've been using in China are not nearly as effective as the vaccines used here in the UK in the European Union and other places, so they don't have the degree of protection that's optimal. Also, they have a lot of their older population, which are the most vulnerable among us, and so there's a double negative there. One, they don't have people who are protected, and two, the people who need it most are not getting the vaccination. That's the source of the problem in China. We lock down to get people vaccinated. That's Dr. Anthony Fauci. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I do. Did you know? I would, uh, I would in some sense agree with that if the vaccines worked. The vaccines don't stop people from getting COVID-19. The vaccines don't stop people from getting COVID-19. People get sick. Boosters, doesn't matter how many. You're gonna get a virus. I hope I'm not hurting anybody's feelings when I say that. But the vaccine thing, folks, it was about one thing and one thing only. Money. And they've got billions out of it. Don't forget tomorrow morning, Steve Baker will be with us at 9 o'clock sharp to discuss the latest, the real latest, on the January 6th debacle. He was right there in the middle of it. And we're going to close with two people I really love. Stevie Wonder. Also, Bill Withers, right before he passed away. Bill Withers that wrote, Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. This is a live version at the Hall of Fame, Induction, 2015. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Not warm when she's away. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. She's always gone too long. And it died, she goes away. Wonder this time where she's gone. If she's gone to stay. Ain't no sunshine. I know, 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 hey, I'll leave your thing alone, but ain't no sunshine when she's gone, no sunshine when she's gone, only darkness ever. No sunshine, which is gone. And this house ain't no gone. Anytime she goes away. Anytime she goes away. Yeah.